He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. unclouded by hate does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice hello everyone my name's charlie you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer c.e dorset and today i wanted to talk to you about something that i've been thinking about a lot lately first of all i would like to say hello to anyone who has joined us from the creation spirituality communities newsletter they very kindly included a bit about the podcast this month and that made me (laughs) smile and you can probably hear my giggly giddiness about it i want to say hello and welcome and i hope that you find something here that you enjoy so i wanted to talk about my person one of my personal pet peeves today when it comes to religion and spirituality and that is that so many people treat it as a solitary action. And I don't feel that that is necessarily best for the individual. I don't think that spirit is an individual thing. I don't think it's something that we can truly express on our own. There are times when that is necessary. There are times when we cannot come together in community and don't think that I'm saying that everything has to be done in a group or it doesn't count. But even when we're alone, there are ways to bring other thoughts and other ways of looking at the world into our spiritual process. And for me, that comes through study. Now, I feel like I should give a little bit of my spiritual background because that probably shows my personal belief system here. Um, I grew up in a non-denominational slash Baptist series of churches. My grandfather was a Southern Baptist minister. My great-grandfather was a missionary Baptist minister. And, well... Let's just say, by the time I was five, memorization of Bible verses was a regular part of my life. As I grew up, um, various things happened that would take over the episode if I talked about, but I have discussed a little bit in previous episodes, and let me know if you want me to go into this in more detail. But I began verging more towards atheism, and... It was two things that prevented that from happening. One was a Jewish friend of mine who started taking me to talk to their rabbi. And the other is my eventual conversion to Catholicism. And yeah, Judaism is a strange route by which to enter Catholicism, but that's what happened. Um, And so... You know, I developed a great love for the spirituality of study 
and how that actually informs how we perceive the metaphysical world and how we interact with it. So having kind of set that up, and I was a Catholic for quite some time, it wasn't until the 2000s, the earlier 2000s, that um, actually it was about in the year 2000, we started attending an Episcopal church because of some issues we were having with the Catholic church at the time. And then we discovered um, creation spirituality. I read Prayer by Matthew Fox, which, as I often say, was my gateway drug into this method of thinking and practice. And from there, original blessing, coming of the cosmic Christ, so on and so forth. And really got into Christian spirituality. It also helped that I was living in Oakland at the time and, you know, was able to have some wonderful experiences there. So this is a hard thing to talk about because when you discuss study, when it comes to spirituality, I think there are two things that come up and I am opposed to one of them and am a big fan of the other. One is academic spirituality. I have a long track record of arguing against academic spirituality. I do not think that this is a good thing. I do not think that it is helpful to any of the movements that have embraced it. Now, what do I mean by that? What I am referring to as academic spirituality is the idea that we send our, oh, I despise this term, um, spiritual leaders. I don't believe that there are leaders in spirituality. There are people who share their experiences. We should not follow any human under the sun. That, that is not a thing that should ever happen. But anywho, having said that, we send our spiritual leaders through an educational process, generally to acquire some degrees. And then we say, ah, you have shown your merit. And thus we will crown you with the right to teach in this, that, or the other institution through some practice of ordination. I am not against ordination. I actually think ordination is a very wonderful and powerful sacrament that can be practiced. My problem comes in by from this idea that there is an academically trainable school of thought that can be ingrained in a person that prepares them to actually speak to and, God forbid, lead spiritual movements. Because those are... There are a lot of things that you can learn and a lot of things that are very valuable to learn. It's good to know some biblical Hebrew. It's good to know some ancient Greek. It may be good, depending on what you're studying, to learn Sanskrit or Coptic or any of those languages. I have nothing against anybody who wishes to study academically to get that accomplished. I also don't have a problem with somebody who wants to just become a scholar of religion, like a Karen Armstrong or a... I just lost his name, but Mr. Henry, who does Religion for Breakfast, which is a wonderful channel on YouTube. If you're not watching it, you should. Um, but I forgot his first name. But anyway, he's, he's really good. 
because if you want to be a scholar of religion, then yes, there are a lot of things that can be studied in an academic setting that will help you with that. My personal belief is that scholarship is not necessarily the most helpful thing for somebody who wants to be a practitioner or to share their experiences with others. Because if you don't have the practical experience, and I know some people who are going to say that there are various practical exercises that most ordination processes require people to go through. Yes, I'm not saying that there aren't. I'm just saying, if you want to get closer to your spiritual tradition, going to college to study it is probably not the best route. Now, if you are somebody that is that way, that that really does appeal to them, go for it. I, I have nothing against you if you try if you try that. In fact, Judaism and its system of yeshivas and other such schools, I think is a very interesting idea. But again, these are generally taught in a much more practical field where you're debating theological questions, you're learning to study, you're learning to meditate, and you are learning through practice. Memorization, as I've often said, does not make one spiritual. It just doesn't. And, you know, I, I, in some ways I wish it did, because it would be wonderful if I could just memorize some lines from Hildegard of Bingen or Julian of Nor Norwich and be able to have some of the deep experiences that they talk about. But mere memorization doesn't do it. This is one of the places where I feel that, you know, Buddhism, for example, especially Tibetan Buddhism with their system that they do for raising up lamas, is often superior to the way that we in the West often train our spiritual teachers because, well, the heavy emphasis on practice. Because praxis really is the whole thing. Now, here I am talking about how important praxis is and how academics is not a good way to get into spirituality, yet I'm saying that study is very important. And it is. It... It is vitally important for us not to develop a spiritualist solipsism where our view of either metaphysical questions that are being posed or spirituality itself or spiritual practice itself is allowed to exist as if it were perfect. Remember, we are always striving for perfection, but perfection is something that exists solely in the realm of God. Nothing under the sun is perfect. So continual study is a very helpful tool for us to prevent ourselves from developing those calluses that can turn into this form of spiritual blindness where we begin to believe that our experiences and our thoughts are the sum total of everything necessary to understand spirituality. And it's a fine rope to have to, you know, walk. Because in our spiritual studies, most of it will only make sense through practice and experience. So we cannot discount our personal experiences, 
But at the same time, it is important for us to understand that others have different experiences, and yet we are all experiencing the same, or at least similar, phenomena. And thus, sharing notes and learning from others' experiences can be extremely helpful for us to actually understand and come to a proper view of the experiences that we're having. In fact, most spiritual teachers will tell you to ignore your experiences because they are traps. They are there to blind you and take you off of the path. And in some instances, that is true. There are many spiritual experiences, especially experiences of bliss that can occur during meditation, that are traps. Because if you actually notice what's happening to you during those moments, you very often are losing the actual experience of mindfulness that you are there in the meditative state trying to foster, trying to gain, trying to refine, and trying to practice. It, they, it can be a distraction. Many of our spiritual experiences are distractions, and learning to see which are and which aren't are vitally important. This is one of the reasons why, you know, whether it is through some form of second body practice, where you have somebody that you share everything with, some process of spiritual formation, or through some kind of congregational development, you share your experiences with others so that you have an outside source. I'm not going to even say objective because I don't think that that's possible, especially when dealing with spiritual issues. But it's very important to have an outside source that you can go to, to talk about your experiences, share your experiences with, and discern the validity of them. Because it's way too easy for us to get mired in our own distractions, even when they seem wonderful or perfect or good. If you do not have access to such a community, then the best alternative is study. And if you do have access to such a community, the best supplement to that community is study. Because even when operating in a community, it is extremely possible and highly likely that you will develop some form of groupthink that will obscure the answers to the questions that you're actually working on. You know, this is a very hard topic, but it's one that I think we need to talk about and really face maturely if we want to continue to develop and grow on our spiritual paths. And we'll talk about that more after the break. And we're back. Okay. So what do I mean by any of this? What do I mean by study? Study to me can be as deep or as mm, mystical as you want it to be. There are times when study for me is the practice of Lectio Divina, where you are reading through a passage repeatedly, looking for parts of it to stand out. I highly advise the practice if you've never tried it. Other times, 
I'm talking about the practice of Musar. Musar is so important to my own spiritual development. And this is, if you will, very simply put, a three-part practice where you begin through meditation. Immediately after meditation, you read a text of some sort and follow the reading of that text with journaling generally on the subject or whatever subject arose during the study. In this three-part action, you will learn so much because first you listen to the silence, then you listen to the words, and then you synthesize those experiences through the act of journaling. Many good insights can come from this. And sometimes... It's good to just read or recite. Study can be as simple as reading a book of poetry or watching a documentary on a spiritual topic or metaphysical or mythical topic. But it can be as complex as a full-blown mystical debate where A topic is posed, and through Socratic questioning, we go through and tear through the topic and learn from each other what we can pull out through the questions. That can be equally valid and powerful in our experience of the mystical and in our experience of spirituality. The importance is not trapping ourselves in the bubble that we often inhabit. For example, as I've said, most of my spirituality is heavily influenced by my experience in Catholicism and my experience in creation spirituality. That doesn't stop me from reading books from a Gnostic point of view, from a Sufi point of view. I read a lot of Jewish books um, because I find an affinity to Jewish spirituality. I read Kabbalistic texts. I've even been known to read selected texts on paganism, shamanism, and witchcraft. I love reading books on Buddhism, even though I am not truly a practicing Buddhist, though Buddhism has inflected itself upon my own spiritual practice quite a bit. In all of this, I am going outside of my comfort zone. I am going outside of the bubble of thought, the system of thought that I generally inhabit. When I read a translation of the works of Ibn al-Arabi and look at his concepts of the imaginal realm and how one speaks to God and how God speaks to us, it is couched in language that is so different from the spiritual traditions that I come from, it's challenging. And through that act of challenging my own understandings through a system of metaphors that are different from the ones that I am accustomed to, it helps to prevent me from miring myself in the belief system that I have acclimatized to. It's very important for us, if we are going to live the path that we have chosen, not to allow ourselves to make idols out of words. And so, by allowing ourselves to take some time to study from works of a Sufi, 
or from a Buddhist or from a Jewish mystic of some sort. One of the most amazing experiences of my life was reading a collection of work by Chaim Vital, who was a Jewish mystic from the, I believe, 1600s, whose belief system was so foreign to me that it actually took me having to buy some supplementary content to be able to understand what I was reading in his text and really understand where he was coming from. And once I got a better understanding of the spiritual community at Safed, which he was a part of, I found myself open to an entire realm of spiritual contemplation that I had not even known was possible. And it challenged a lot of my preconceived notions and made me question a lot of the things that I had taken for granted, especially since he writes a lot about what he believes the Messiah should be. And as a Christian, as somebody who identifies primarily as Christian, that's a challenging place to come from when you are reading somebody who does not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, talk about their expectations of a messianic figure and what that figure would have to um, manifest to be proven to be such a person. It, it, it was challenging. It was hard for me to read. And too often, people find themselves wanting to cry blasphemy or, you know, throw out the entire text because it does not conform to the orthodoxy that they are comfortable with. It does not conform to the orthodoxy that they have accepted in their life. But by allowing yourself to experience it, and I'm not saying that you always have to agree, that's not the case. But by allowing yourself to see the other side, to see how others have perceived the great mysteries of life that you yourself are struggling to understand, it gives you a larger vocabulary and can often challenge your preconceived notions. For me, seeing how he described certain experiences that sounded very familiar to experiences that I had had, but in very different terms and in very different um, explanations and analysis of what they actually meant and what they actually were for, it caused me to question my preconceived notions that I had adopted over the years based on the schools of thought that I was familiar with. And that is an immensely valuable thing. I will not say that I came to agree with him on everything that he said, or that he converted me to his way of thought on many topics, because quite honestly, he didn't. I found him to personally be a uh, bit uh, self-aggrandizing in his fiction, well, <laughs> there we go. Sorry, I didn't mean that. In his autobiography, um, where he actually claims to have been a pre, a uh, 
incarnation of the Messiah whose time had not come. And so he did not actually fulfill his role. I find that oddly self-aggrandizing, but eh, it is what it is. But it did help me in my own development. And that's very important for us to be able to challenge ourselves to see things from different perspectives and to see things from the tradi- from traditions other than our own. In creation spirituality, we refer to this as deep ecumenism. Sometimes we will find things that we wish to bring back with us. Other times we won't. You know, St. Augustine, in his book on charity, or on Christian love, I've seen it translated as, actually says that the greatest act of love that we have is to look for truth wherever it may lie, even if it is in the heart of the darkest heresy. If there is any truth there, it is our obligation to find it and bring it home. So, this is what I mean when I say study, and how it affects us in our spiritual practice and in our spiritual formation. In all things that we do, there are things to study, whether it be the poems of Kabir or Rumi, or of Rumi's father, the drowned book is a marvelous thing to read that will really challenge how you look at and see the world. But whatever it is that you found to study, try to study it first on its own terms, not try to apply your filter or your lens over it and not trying to get it to agree with you. Try to understand the terms as they would be used within the tradition and try to understand where the author is coming from. Only when you apply this form of compassion, where you are trying to understand not only the tradition that the person is coming from, but the times in which they were writing. You have to remember the Safed community that developed and created one of the great blossomings of Kabbalah originated out of the Expulsion Act in Spain, when all of the Jews were told to either convert to to Catholicism or die, or leave. And many of them moved to the east, and many of them settled in the realm of, in the city of Safed, and thus the community forms, and we have the coming of the Ari, Isaac Luria, who started his teaching, and we see that teaching in many of his disciples who recorded it. So understanding the times that they're coming from and the things that they went through, it's easy for us to, for example, read a text that may say something horrible about women or people of another race and become very judgmental. And no, we shouldn't necessarily blindly accept those views because, as we know, racism is wrong, sexism is wrong, homophobia is wrong, transphobia is wrong. But we also cannot separate them from the time in which they wrote. And so it can be very instructive for us to understand, well, why did they think that? Why did they see it that way? What was it about the time in which they lived that caused them 
to perceive the world through that filter. Because once you start seeing the perceptual filters on the people that you're reading, it actually becomes a bit easier. It'll never be entirely easy, but it does become a bit easier to see when we have a a perceptual filter placed over our own understanding. After all, the goal in the end is the same. We want to see the world as it truly is and participate in it on those terms. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I debated for a while if this was the topic that I wanted to discuss, and I thought that it was worth the time. If the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this podcast or the episode itself, please do so. That helps out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share the podcast with more people. If you've got a dollar that you can spare down in the uh, show notes, you'll see a link that says support on Anchor. If you click that, you can support at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. Those That money helps out a lot. Help me to get the new microphone that I'm talking to you on and a lot of software that I'm using to make my work possible. If you don't have any money, don't worry. That's fine. I do not do this podcast for money. I do it because I like to talk about spiritual things. But if you do want to help out, please consider sharing this podcast with others that you think might enjoy it. That does help out quite a bit. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm Wisdom Cries Out on Twitter. You can find links to everything that I do over at wisdomscry.com. I don't usually talk about my other work on this podcast, but I do a podcast called Project Shadow, which is about science fiction and writing and all kinds of things. And we recently had a discussion over there about the possibility of making a new sci-fi series. And it went over really big, and so I'm working on that. If that's something you may be interested in, head over to projectshadow.com and check that out. Because, I just thought I would mention it. And until next time, may God bless you and keep you ever-growing in wisdom and compassion. Amen.